This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. They Might Be Giants is coming up on their 40th anniversary as a band, and they have just released their 16th studio album, not counting the five children's albums they've made. Their latest is called Book. It's an album that will be released alongside a coffee table book. Part of you wants to believe me, but part of isn't yet totally off of your meds. Part of you Joining me to talk about the band's career and their latest project is John Flansburg. Hello. So old. <laughs> I mean, you started playing music in New York in the 80s. I mean, how do you think the band's sound has changed or even just the vibe of the band has changed since those early days in New York? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, we're kind of going at it with the exact same, uh, you know, we never like sent out like band wide memos saying we're changing our sound. So it, we have just kind of evolved, but we've evolved quite a bit. I mean, technology has evolved, has evolved quite a bit. We started as kind of a bedroom recording act that would smuggle some of our stuff into recording studios and try to capture the secret of demo-type recordings from back then, which was a very fragile thing to do. Um, I think we've always been just attracted to that unlikely kind of sound. But you know, we started at, we started with drum machines, and we made we made some albums under very adverse conditions. I mean, we didn't we were an indie band, you know, completely indie and had really no budget at all. So uh, things changed significantly. I mean, now we record with these really monster musicians who who really amplify everything we do. It's it's just it's completely different. But it's not. I don't know how intentional. There are big parts of it that aren't that intentional. They just are literally an evolution. They Might Be Giants have, have done a lot of playful stuff throughout the band's career. You know, you had the uh, Dial a Song service. Tell me more about that project and how it came about. Well, that was a lot of people's introduction to us back in the day. And it was essentially just a phone machine in the kitchen of my apartment in Brooklyn and it's exactly what it sounds like. You called and you just heard a song. There was no, vo- there was no explaining anything. It just was this experience that you would have. And I think, you know, in retrospect, it was a really nice way. It was a nice way for our project to be introduced to the world because it was just entirely separate from rock culture, uh, which at that point was pretty codified. I mean, we grew up there was a, just a tremendous number of gatekeepers in the way at, when we started. And there was like this sort of established way of doing things that was very much in the way when we started uh, in terms of how bands were broken and how things were, you know, just there was, there, was the, there was a common wisdom of how bands were marketed. And it was all about becoming a national or international act. And it was all very much... Uh, you know, it was that big '80s kind of thing. You know, it was it was it was very different than now. So, Dial Song was just a it was just a project that was ever thirsty for new songs. It really changed us in terms of our approach. I think by temperament, John and I might have been more like Steely Dan or some kind of studio act that just spent a lot of time working on sounds, and that all ended with Dial Song because we really had to just always be making up new stuff. And that that really helped us as writers. 
It, my favorite story about this is I think someone once asked you, like, what was the craziest message you got on your answering machine through dial a song? And I think, I think someone said, well, there was a, a, a few women that would just give that number out when suitors they weren't interested in would ask for their number. They would give the dial a song number and people would be like, well, that's a weird answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> it might have just been one woman who just was really on the scene. I have, yeah. I have, no, I have no idea. Um, but these guys sure sounded sad um, uh, and confused. They were just like, this, this, this person is much more complicated than they could handle. We got some good, we got some good messages over the years. Actually, we did an EP early on that had the incoming message of someone listening on a conference call to Dial a Song. And uh, that was a pretty funny, it's, I believe it's called Track 13. And, and I would invite you to play an excerpt from it because it's, uh, it's just some really good uh, discombobulated conversation. What do you think, what do you make out of that recording? I don't know, Rory, I just don't... Some kind of singing, but it doesn't sound like no answering machine, right? No, it ain't an answering machine because they're not saying anything. They just... But what does he get, how does he make money on this? Whatever he's advertising in the paper, that's this the part that don't make no sense. You know, so much of um, They Might Be Giants, I mean, I feel like your lyrics are so, so playful. And I'm even just listening, you know, to this latest album, you know, their songs about the circus or brontosaurus. Brontosaurus, like a brontosaurus. Life was And just knowing that you have already put out so many children's albums, I'm just thinking like already some of these songs are just so playful that I can hear kids loving it too. But I'm wondering like, what is the difference between going about writing an album just for the general public versus focusing in and writing an album just for kids? It's a, it's a really good question. I just, I don't know if I have a really good answer actually, because we, when we did the kids stuff, I think our intention was to try to give it the same qualities as we had in our adult stuff. So so we were in some ways we were just kind of extracting the the existential angst that kind of weaves through the adult stuff. One thing that's really interesting about writing for kids is just different than writing for adults is that any cultural touchstone that you might cite in a lyric it ha- has no resonance with kids. <laughs> yeah. So you're just wasting your time trying to you know, frame an idea in some cultural thing. And that's an interesting challenge for people like us. I mean, we actually, you know, a lot of times we're we're talking about things that everybody knows. Uh, But these kids, they don't know nothing. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So is there a particular song off of this latest release book that you are just really proud of or love the backstory of or just how it came together that you'd love to elaborate on? Oh, well, the second song on the album that uh, is called Moonbeam Rays, and I started writing this, the song probably five years ago, and it was one of those songs that really, it started with the opening line, which was, by the time you read this, it will be too late, which is just an expression that people, it's it's in movies, I guess. Like, it's like, you know, it's like next to like ransom note language. It's like one of those melodramatic kind of phrases that ends up in in movies by the time you hear this it will be too late 
then John came in with a song that essentially had the same line in it. By the time you get this note, we'll no longer be alive. This has happened before, and it's really flummoxing, because I actually thought the song was working pretty well, and uh, so I just, I just kind of shelved it for a little while and waited. F- you know, we made that album, we put it into the world, so I, I tried rewriting it, and it just wasn't as effective. So I just, I just had to sort of sit it out. But now it's in the world, and I think it's just a good, it's a well-crafted song. It's, it's, I ended up, you know, putting it on the blocks for a long time. You know, it's just a, it's just a sad kind of breakup song written yeah. by a, a happily married man. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm hearing more and more of that where where I hear an album and there's just heartbreak songs and I'm like wait a minute you just got engaged or wait a minute you just had a right. kid with your mother. <laughs> I think it's much more interesting to to write those kinds of songs. I guess like early on when Elvis Costello hit the scene, people were just like, "How can you write so many songs about revenge? Like, what's what's going on with you?" And and he, just, you know, he just said like, "It's it's actually just a much more interesting topic." I think it might be the same reason, a similar might run parallel to why uh, so many novelists write about rich people. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 not that it's actually a better topic. It's just it, there's just sort of more to kind of kind of work with. Yeah, or or just paint a picture of a life that novelists not don't always have. <laughs> yeah, but I sort of live. I you know I live through, vicariously through my friends who are like struggling with relationships, and they'll never know. I've been speaking with John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants about their latest record called Book. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Emily. By the time you hear this. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.